Amen. So glad you're with us tonight. Verse 18, it's a favorite passage of Scripture for me because Isaiah is saying, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as crimson, they shall be as wool. So we accept the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. We accept the fact that my sins are forgiven. Part of being a Christian is my sins are forgiven. Whatever has happened, whatever I've done, it's washed. We accept that. We accept the warning at the end of the verses that says, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the best of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We accept that. We accept that the Spirit of God will warn us. And we accept that the Spirit of God can say something to us, and we do need to be willing and obedient to eat from the best of the land, and we want to be blessed. But if we resist and rebel, we'll be devoured by the sword because God's mouth is speaking to us. We accept that. What we don't accept as much is the very first part where Isaiah is saying that God is saying, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Come now, let's be reasonable about this thing. And I don't know about you, but I, 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 one of the worst things to me is when Christians and Christian thought leaders are, are, are portrayed as unreasonable. As if we can't have an honest conversation about anything, because all about the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. And can we actually reasonably discuss something? Can we even talk about stuff that the, ba- the Bible may not directly address can we take wisdom from the scriptures can we take wisdom from who we are as men and women of god can we follow after the example of the apostle paul and say well i maybe the scriptures don't address this but i'm saying this and don't i have the spirit of god are we able to do that so that we can make a commentary on what's going on in the world around us and stay relevant with the world because if the enemy can't stop us, he'll just compartmentalize us and make us irrelevant and so that we are no longer addressing anything in society. Since I was raised by holiness, holiness people couldn't wear red, couldn't wear earrings, couldn't wear makeup. As a result of it, the church almost became compartmentalized outside of being able to make a comment on the world. It's almost like the world just looked at us like, you know what, y'all got dresses up to your neck and dresses down to you. It's just, never mind. Y'all, don't, y'all ain't eating shrimp. It's just ridiculous. And, and so now, the, the role that we played in being the salt of the earth and bringing a balance to the culture, we almost became so Christian that we are no longer effective in touching the world. And so a part of what I'd like to do tonight and what I have endeavored to do throughout the ministry that the Lord has given me in the last several years is to say, okay, by the Spirit of God, can I communicate a concept that is not just relevant to this expression of the church of Jesus Christ, but can I, can I communicate a, a gospel of Jesus Christ that's relevant to this time? That we have to realize that this is a generational and a cultural expression of eternal truth. Most of us who were taught to live according to the Bible, I got it. But it is this still, what is written in these pages, our real job is to find 
the eternal truth that's in here and not just the generational cultural expression of that truth. Okay. And so what I'm going to endeavor to do tonight <laughs> is to answer questions and to glean from the eternal scriptures, but then, of course, to try to address some of the things that are going on in the world around us. And I'm not going to waste any more time without any further ado. I'm going to do it and jump right into it. First question I got, top of the list is, what is your definition of a man? I can only assume that this question is being asked because I may, maybe it's the whole, is it a Katanji? I don't want to pronounce her name wrong. The, the woman that's up for the Supreme Court, Katanji, right? Katanji, one of the, the issues with our sister Katanji Jackson, I'm, I'm praying for her, but her inability to answer the question, well, what is your definition of a woman? One of the other questions that's in here, and I guess I'll just kind of go ahead and address it right now, which is, you know, well, what is, what is my, what, I'm, what do I have to say about the LBGTQ community and its influence on society? And now we're hearing about Disney. I don't know if you, if you're aware of all the stuff that Disney has decided to do, and they're, that they're just going to make gender assigned, just taking it off of the, just something that they don't want it to be a part of their films or just the influence of on our children when it comes to gender etc i don't know if that's the direct intention of the question what is a man to me but let me address it from that perspective uh and then i'll give you what my perspective is about a man after that um but i honestly believe that Biologically, you're a man. Biologically, you're a woman. You're born a woman biologically, you're a woman. You're born a man biologically, you're a man. And I don't know if identity crisis, if the answer to it is permanence through hormones or surgery. And only time will tell. If that is the case, I do know that when you're a man, there's a certain amount of testosterone that it takes just for you to be healthy as a person. As a woman, there's a certain amount of estrogen that is required just for your function to be right. It's going to be interesting 25 years from now 30 years from now, 40 years from now, to see whether or not the people who decided that although they were born male biologically but don't feel male on their inside, and now they're going to do something to themselves through hormone therapy to deny themselves testosterone, I think a good question is going to be, what kind of life will they have long term? And whether or not that life will be blessed or not. And I think the thief comes to kill or steal and destroy. The Lord said, I've come that you'll have life and have it more abundantly. And have it to the full. And not to overly quote Jurassic Park. But I feel like science's job is to say what can be. Not necessarily to say what should be. 
Jeff Goldblum said that in the first Jurassic Park movie. He said, your scientists were so busy asking the question, if you could, you never stopped to ask the question, if you should. So you never asked, should dinosaurs and humans be together in a city? Obviously, if you saw the movie, the answer is no. And so just because we may have the science for a 75-year-old woman to have a baby, just because that can happen doesn't necessarily mean that's something that should happen. Just because we find that there's a science, to give science the power to decide what should be is a dangerous thing to do. What should be is something that has been answered by powers higher than just people that can decide what can be. I also believe that one of the things that's interesting about the world that we're living in right now today is gender is, is being questioned and redefined, particularly in America, because we are so disconnected from any kind of real roots. So when you have a culture or society that's this giant kind of experiment Everybody in Korea is Korean. Everybody in China is Chinese. Everybody in Australia. I mean, it's, America is it's almost no other place like it where you've got all these different cultures and all these different uh, groups that are coming from all these different parts of the world. And especially for African-Americans, it's just very easy to be disconnected from your culture, from your rites of passage. And so the very fact that we're having this ultimate identity crisis, especially here in America, is not surprising. Because there was a time when humanity was dependent on community. You couldn't have humanity without community. You had to have your tribe. You had to have your town. And so, in a sense, the foundation of the community was family, and the foundation of family was church. And so much of what we taught in the church really was, was really moral, which was really family values, because the foundation of the family, especially in America, was the church. And the, church, and the family was the foundation of community, and we needed community. If you're a plumber, we need your son to be a plumber, because we need a plumber for the next generation. And so much of the the identity was defined. You didn't have a bunch of people that were just kind of like, well, who am I and what am I? So whereas as we've gotten more independent from one another, it's created more freedom, praise God for that, but it's also created more confusion. And so for me, and I'll say this last thing, that... <clears throat> As a father of daughters, anybody in here who has daughters and daughters who have played sports, I would be pretty annoyed if my daughter is playing basketball or playing tennis or playing a sport and the next thing you know, she's playing against 
a boy or racing against a boy born biologically that has now lengthened his hair with microlinks or whatever and is now deciding that he is racing against my daughter that I in a sense I feel like this the transgender battle more than ever could be the undoing of this wrestle um, and particularly men competing against women in sports even if they have lowered their, their testosterone below a certain level I just think that the jury is out on, on what this is, is going to ultimately be, but I feel like there's a lot of confusion around it. So if you're asking me, what is a man? To me, a man is, you're born, you've got the genitalia of a man, biologically you are a man. If you want to identify as something else, I, I really, and I, I said I'm not gonna take forever on this, but I think that one of my biggest issues with it as well is how early we want people to be able to make this decision. To me, yo, if you're 31, you're 27, and you decide, yo, yo, this being a man thing is all wet, hey, got you, okay? But for you at eight, for you at six, for you at, you don't have no kind of sense at six. So sorry. You don't, anybody that's been around anybody six, if we don't allow them to decide when to go to bed or where they're going to go to school or are they going to brush their teeth, or, to allow somebody seven to decide that they're a girl is insane to me. Now, if you, you 26, you Bruce Jenner, and you decide, you know what, this whole Olympic athlete thing is all wet, I want to be Caitlyn. I'll almost kind of halfway clap for you, but if you are going to tell my, my child who is learning about life, that's another big issue that I have with it. Um, and so a man is a man. Now, what's a man? All right, what's a man? A man to me is someone whose authority is based on responsibility. You take responsibility for your life, it gives you a certain amount of authority. If you surrender your life to the authority of God, that happens as a result of you giving God a certain amount of responsibility for your life. Now you're submitted to that authority, and you have other people that give you wisdom and counsel. And, but at, to me, to be a man is to be responsible. To be a man is I'm taking responsibility of my actions as hard as it may be, I'm taking responsibility of what I've got to do, and I now am deciding that I'm going to be a man, and I'm going to hold myself accountable the most for what is happening with me and what I'm doing. And now, as a result of that, once I decide to be accountable and lead in my own life, I now qualify myself to lead in other areas and lead in other arenas. And to me, a man ultimately is a leader. And if you're looking for a man, then I would suggest that you look for a man who's a leader and not just a man who's a worker. So one of the things that at times is a bit worrisome to me is sometimes when I listen to my sisters, especially women, talk about a man and how they're believing God for a man. When I ask them what they're believing God for, 
the man is almost just a part of like their workforce. You think about a man as just somebody to kind of help them with everything they have to do. And as much as that certainly can be a benefit, I, I get that. But in my estimation, if you really are praying God and asking God for a man, then you're asking God for someone with a mission and someone who's taking responsibility and someone who's trying to be a leader. And you're trying to figure out how you're going to be able to help that man with his mission and not just how he's going to help you with yours. Because if you find a man who does not have that purpose or does not have that hunger, inevitably you cannot make him happy. A man is made more happy by his purpose than his, and his work than he is by his family. Family may bring a certain amount of joy to him, but one of the differences between men and women is that men can receive a significant amount of good feeling from work and purpose. And so if stuff is work, right with the money and right with the job and right with the work, the guy can be good. For the woman, the benefit and the strength is... Stuff can be right with the money and right with the house. But if in the home or if the relationship isn't good, and it doesn't, we, don't, we don't have that good feeling. And so it's right now, I'm, my daughter, I have a daughter that's single, and I'm saying to her, yo, this dude that you, that's rolling on you, he needs to be about his job and about his work and about his purpose. I mean, I want him to love you, but he also needs to be about his work and his purpose and trying to figure out how you're going to help him with his work and his purpose because you can't make a man happy who doesn't know what his life's about. So you're going to find yourself frustrated trying to make some man happy who really isn't happy because of stuff in his purpose isn't right. Then, And so my admonition to men is, hey, take responsibility for yourself. Find out why you're here. Figure out what your mission is figure out what your purpose is, and then pray and ask God to bring you somebody to walk alongside you that can help you with your mission, help you with your purpose. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be there for her and love her and help her, but a lot of times women sound to me like they're looking for a wife more than they're looking for a husband. And so I think if you're praying and asking God for a husband, then ask him for a husband. Don't ask him for a wife. You need a wife, get a maid. But if you want a man, get a man. Okay, all right. Second question. How do you overcome fear from being traumatized by your siblings? It's a good question. Since I'm the oldest, I don't really have to deal with this. I was more the trauma causer, probably, than, than the trauma receiver. Um, although, honestly, since I was the oldest of eight and I was always made to be responsible and always taking care of my younger brothers and sisters, I didn't really traumatize my younger siblings really um, not, not really, a little teasing, but, but how do you overcome fear from being traumatized by your siblings? I think the way you overcome that fear is the same way you overcome any kind of fear. And that is that you're going to have to unpack it. Now, if you unpack it, it's, it's like any baggage. I don't know if you've ever come home from the airport. I do a lot of travel. I, I'm going to New York tomorrow. So, one of the things with me is because I travel as much as I do, when I get to my hotel, I unpack. I don't know if you just decide to live out of your suitcase for the two or the three or the four days that you're going to be there. I don't do that. I open my suitcase up. I take stuff out. I put it in the drawers. I unpack. When I come home, 
And it almost doesn't matter how late it is. I'm coming home. I'm going to unpack. I, I don't like to leave bags packed. I think we end up with a lot of baggage because we never unpack it. We have to sit down with somebody that can help us unpack our bag. When I, every now and then I get called for the screening at the airport, they'll take you to the side. They'll open your carry-on, and now they're rubbing a little thing over your stuff. I think you need somebody that can help you to unpack your baggage, figure out what happened to you that's toxic, figure out what happened to you that you need to just let go, figure out what so that you can actually forgive and let that person go. I would suggest if you're dealing with trauma from any of your childhood, you need to sit down with a counselor. You need to sit down with a therapist. And a good one, one of the first things they'll do is take you kind of through a timeline of your childhood and try to get down to the bottom of what makes you work and unpack any trauma that happened to you, whether it was from your siblings or not. A lot of our traumas were caused to us by our families. And so it is wise to unpack your bag. Um, and so that's how you overcome that. What do you think about the Will Smith, Chris Rock slap? Would you have done that for the first lady? You know, I, I, did, a, I did like a live the night, it, I think the next night after it happened, and I, my initial thought about the, the initially was I really did think that it was a staged thing. I, I really... I, that's what I thought. My initial thing of it was, wow, the Oscars don't get as much views and folk don't watch it that much and they have really contrived something and, and you know, hey, and I, I thought to myself, especially right, right after it happened, all of the sisters was like, that's right, Will Smith, you know, so it was almost like Will Smith has now become the defender of black women's, you know, whatever it is, whatever their issue may be, alopecia, whatever it is, come to the defense of your woman. And, and Chris Rock, I mean, people are going to be talking about Chris Rock, and Chris Rock, his next Netflix special is probably going to be called Slapped or something. So I, I felt like, in a way, hey, maybe they did contrive this, and maybe this benefits everybody. As it has gone on, and as we have gone now a week away out of it happening, and the, the more and more tough that's coming, particularly at Will Smith, I feel like if... There was a group that decided that this was a good move. I wish I had been on that team to tell them, no, it's not a good move. Because clearly, there's been a significant amount of backlash at Will Smith. And uh, I, I think that initially, beyond it being staged, my initial reaction as a 6'2", as a six, almost 6'3", six, 215-pound black man, I, I don't need any more evidence that we are some kind of out of control, man, walk on stage, knock you out. I, it, it's a bit bothersome to me that the lowest common denominator of the African-American community a lot of times is violence. And we just kind of feel like, well, that's what you get. You know what I'm saying? You better watch who you step to. It's like, as much as I understand that, it, it is troublesome to me that we have to express ourselves in a physical way 
to be seen as men or to be respected as men, that's an issue for me as an African-American man. Um, and so I was, Monday was a tough day for me after it happened. And I'm not trying to put everything on, on anybody, but a black man slapping another black man on national television at an award show, not a good look. To, in, in my estimation, I just, I kind of was a little grieved by it. By whatever caused it, I'm not in their relationship, I don't know. Whatever it is that caused it, um, I, that was my initial gut feeling and reaction. Especially over words. And you got to be careful doing something with comedians because comedians are like preachers. The, the thing about comedians and preachers is we are the only people in the world who do this. Actors are saying other people's lines. And so are politicians. People write their speeches. Preachers and comedians are similar in that we say what we say. And you think you can think you can come after a comedian if you want to, but it ain't going to go good. It's not going to go the way that you think that it's going to go. Um, and so I, 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 my initial feeling about it was, wow, this is a really unfortunate thing, especially over words. Over words. Now, as a 6'2", 215-pound black man who has guns and weapons and is taking Krav Maga, if you physically do something to any of the women that belong to me, we got another conversation that's going to happen. So I'm walking with my wife, walking with my daughter, talking... I mean, and you bump. LaShawn and I were in an airport one time, and we're walking through somewhere, and somebody just bumped her. Just because sometimes black folk can be invisible. Some dude bumped her. He didn't get a hallelujah, brother. Watch where you're going. That's not what he got. So somebody talking about her, your wife, I kind of get that. But hey, but... Put your hands on my daughter. We got another problem. In that moment. I'm going to try not to go to jail, but I'm going to do the best I can. You understand? So, you know, would I do that for... I, and quite honestly, I've heard a lot of comedians say this, and a lot of different comment, commentaries say it, and I agree with it, is that quite honestly... If you got a good woman, she kind of wants to stop you from getting in trouble. <laughs> if you got a good mama, she'll be like, sit yourself down here. She knows you can kick somebody's behind, but she don't want you to. A good mama <laughs> doesn't want you to get in trouble. My mother knows that of all of her children, I'm the one with who is the most will whoop your tail. I'm the one. And my mother told me this dream she had about somebody bothered her and, and I, she told me and then when she went outside I had my foot on the person's neck and she's like you're a pastor so I mean I, I understand that's her dream in my mom's mind I'm that one so I get that if that's how you are and yo my dad's first church was across the street from the projects and I spent time in the projects so I got it but what I'm saying is still okay 
How do you handle generational issues that seem hard to overcome? How do I handle generational issues? I mean, I, I talk quite a bit about generations. Um, I have to understand generations because I'm an Xer, and the Generation X is one of the smallest generations. Anyone who's in this room who's the Generation X, we're a small generation. 75 million boomers, 50 million Xers, okay? And then 79 million millennials. So my generation is sandwiched between these two giant generations. One of the things that's, that's interesting is just if you're an Xer, it's almost like you were raised to kind of please the boomer generation and also raised to win the millennial generation. And so I think the beginning of overcoming any issue, especially if it's generational, is an understanding. You have to understand what generation you're born in. You can look that up and Google it and find out. They'll tell you the, the years in which you were born if you're a boomer and you'll have to see the traits, positive and negative, of boomers, traits, positive and negative of Xers, traits, positive and negative of millennials, and traits, positive and negative of the Z generation. Every generation thinks they got it all sewed up. I think if you really do see God, then seeing God will enable you to see what is the difficulty in your generation. That same Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, trained for the temple, and he said, Woe is me, for I'm an un undone. I live amongst a, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord God Almighty. So you ain't seen the king if you think millennials are perfect. If you're a millennial and you don't think, you don't see the issues within your generation, you ain't seen the king. You're a boomer. And you just think boomers are amazing. Well, what that means is if you can't recognize that you live amongst a generation of unclean lips, I question whether or not you really have seen the king, the Lord God Almighty. If you see the Lord God Almighty, you're going to say, what was me? And what was all these boomers if you're a boomer? If you're an Xer, you're going to say, what was me? And my God, this extra generation is a trip. What was me? And these millennials, whoo, we need prayer. What was me and God lead this Z generation? If you think that your generation is perfect, then you probably haven't really seen God. Seeing God makes you see you. That's why whenever I hear anybody talking about they saw an angel and they weren't scared after death, I'm always like, get out of here. You just, you know, everybody in the Bible who saw an angel was terrified. People who said, oh, well, the angel of the Lord appeared to me today and told me to eat some Honey Nut Cheerios. Them people are just talking, trying to seem like they're spiritual. If, you, if, the, if an angel appears to you, he ain't there to tell you what cereal to eat. So, and you're going to be so shook, you're not going to be hungry. You're not going to be like, oh, yeah, Frosted Flakes, good choice, Gabriel. That's not going to happen. And so, understand that the beginning of Overcoming any issue is understanding it, particularly generational issues. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the start of it, okay? Question. My family was raised in church. I'm a son of a pastor. But as adults, we are very different. Any suggestions on tips or tips on how to reunite 
the family beyond prayer. This is one of the things that's very interesting, and I don't know if you grew up in church or if you grew up in any kind of ministry any, any, in this room or if you're watching around the world. It's very interesting how much ministry can kind of mess families up. It really can. I mean, it, in a sense, for everybody else, their family is the first thing, but there's almost a thing within the ministry of put God first or put the ministry first or put church first or put kingdom ideas first or put kingdom principles first. And so there are a lot of people that don't like church who were raised in church or don't like church who were raised by ministers. And sometimes that can happen because we were taught to put principles over people. And a lot of people, a lot of us, were Isaacs sacrificed on the altars of our Abrahamic parents. Okay? And God stopped Abraham from killing Isaac, but there's a lot of our parents didn't hear God say stop. And, and even with that being said, I still kind of feel a little bit, and I'll know, I'll ask him when I see him, but I got a little bit of a feeling like Isaac was just a little bit salty about the way that whole thing went down. I just do. I mean, he was really close to his mama, and he was really upset when she died, and I feel like a part of that is because when he came home for that, <laughs> I mean, as much as he was like, thank God for this ram in the bush, but I think for the rest of the ride home, he was kind of like, were you really going to kill me, though? I mean, I know that I, I would have been resurrected, but that knife still would have hurt. I mean, God, that, dang, God. You know, and I, I think that's a little bit why when the prophecy came that his wife is pregnant and there's twins in there and the younger is going to be the one, the older will serve the younger, Isaac was kind of like, yeah, thanks. Esau going to be who I like. Pray God for your prophecy. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Prophecy almost got me killed and burnt. So thank you very much. And so I kind of feel like there's a lot of people who I minister to and talk to and have a conversation with PKs who were sacrificed on the altar of their parents' theology. They were made to go to a church they hated because of who their mama was at the church. And so to kind of, it's absolutely possible to have almost, I don't want to say an adversarial, but almost a competitive attitude towards church. And I think we have to find the way to make sure that we don't do that in family. It's something I suggest to women whose husbands aren't saved. So if you're here, you're watching, you got a man, he don't go to your church. My suggestion to you is try as best you can not to have your man in competition with your God. He's already competing with your kids. He's already competing with your job. He's already competing with your purpose. As best you can, you don't want to make him feel like anything that the pastor says can mess his weekend up. My suggestion to you is every now and then if he says, hey, instead of going to church on Sunday, why don't you come fishing with me? You might say, okay, and go fishing with him. He may come to church with you 
if he doesn't always feel second fiddle to your calling. And it's okay with God because Paul said that the reason why you should stay single is because a married person is divided. They're not just thinking about how they're going to please the Lord. They got to think about how they're going to please their wife. They're not just thinking about how they're going to please the Lord. They're, going to, they're thinking about how they're going to please their husband. So God knows that. So since God knows that, God will be okay. You got a husband, God knows he's sharing you with your husband. If you're single, don't have no ring here. I'm married to Jesus. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> keep this ring, keep this finger clean because you're not married to Jesus. He's not sleeping with you tonight. He ain't going to give you no babies. So, so I understand that there is this, this fine line mix of this balance. See, I, it's late. I tell you, I got I to gotta stop. But to, to understand that, so I think certainly... There are people that end up in ministry families. There are people in families who don't speak to each other over church, over God. And I think we have to be careful about that. I think it's something that the world looks at and judges us negatively for it. And I know that I got to a place with my ministry family, especially my father, who is a bishop, in which I said to him, because my father is a bishop, but he's not my bishop. So I got to a place with my father where I was like, you know what? I want you to be my, can you, how about you be my dad? How about you be my father? I'll be your son. Let's do that. Because there's a gazillion people that, it's, it's same with me here. My, my brother, Joe, works here, attends here. His wife, his wife, Lives here with him, obviously, and his children. They came back to see me in the back. Hey, Uncle Andy. I'm like, hey, guys, how you doing? Hug, I'll make you a cake. Here's some money. I don't need anybody to call me. I got enough people to call me Pastor Andy. I don't, I don't need my brother's wife to receive a word from me. Ain't the Lord what's hand to you, my, my sister-in-law. You are. I don't need that. If your ministry is really effective, then you don't need... Everybody in your family to acknowledge your anointing. I mean, the word already says that only in his hometown amongst his relatives is a prophet without honor. You ought to be big enough to be who you God has called you to be to who God's calling you to be to. And be a brother to your brother. And a sister to your sister. Because those relationships are far less populous than your ministry if you really are called. A lot of folk who fuss about that aren't really called. Let me answer this last question. I got, will the Raleigh church ever be revived? That's a good question. I'll let you know that when God speaks to me about it. Um, how long? Good God. How long do you wait? For a husband who is separated from his wife to get his act together. Meaning, so somebody separated on their way to divorce, male or female. This is a question I felt like it would be good to answer. Because people separate and they're not going to be with somebody. They're on their way to not being together with a person. And the question has come, well, should you wait till they're out of the way? Absolutely done. Totally 
divorced papers signed in the envelope? Or is it wrong for somebody to roll on you who's on their way to divorce, male or female? Is that a wrong thing? Here in the state of North Carolina, for those of you that are in this state, and there are people watching around the world, you have to wait a year. You have to be legally separated for a year before you can officially be divorced from someone. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, because I think that you do need some space. I think you do need to heal. I think you do need to figure out what was going on, why you chose wrong or why they chose wrong or whatever it may be. I think there's some health to that. But I also do believe that there are times when if people are done, they're done. And I honestly believe that the question is, is since the question seems to be coming from a female asking, how long do I wait for this guy to get his act together? I can only assume it means be fully, completely done. Since it's coming from the woman, let me just say this. I say this to women. I've said it before. I'm saying it again. Women have to be Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds, one of the greatest hitters in baseball of all time. Okay, hit more home runs than anybody. Not only did he hit more home runs than anybody, but he walked more than anybody. Walked means that he went to first base because there were four pitches outside of the strike zone that he didn't swing at. So what that means is if a good pitch down the center came at Barry Bonds, if Barry Bonds got up to bat, chances are he could see 12 pitches and none of them are really all that good. He hit more home runs than anybody, steroids, whatever. He hit more home runs than anybody, meaning that when he got a good pitch, he hit it out the park. I think if you're a woman, you got to dig in you got to get up to bat serious. You have to have a routine, and you got to be serious about your at-bat. You're not going to get a lot of good pitches. You're going to get some pitches that are too high. You're going to get some pitches that are too low. You're going to get some pitches that are way outside the plate. If a good pitch comes down the center, you better swing and hit that pitch. I don't care if you're 19. Well, I mean, I mean, right now, you know, that's, I, but hey, you know what? I got to still got my, get my double masters. I got you, sweetheart. I mean, I feel you. But especially if you're a woman of color, if a good pitch come down the center, you better swing and knock it out. Because I don't know how many good pitches you're going to get to hit. So if a guy seems serious about you, 
You know he's on his way to the thing being over. He is separated. He's in his separation. He's, he's moving on. The stuff is done. He's living someplace else. He's doing the thing. Clearly, he's not going to be with somebody. And he inch, shows interest in you if he is a quality pitch. You may want to be careful about not swinging at it. Because I don't know how many good pitches you're going to get to hit in this game. I think the, the question is the quality of the pitch. Um, and I could go way deeper in that and talk about the inequalities and all of the stuff and just the, the especially within the African-American community and the dating system. But I do think that if you are a woman of color and you are serious at all about believing that you will have a man then you have to be serious about it all the time. And I think that the other things that you know you can control are things that you know you can control. You know that you can get into this school and get that degree. That you know you can do. But can you meet a serious guy who's serious about you, unfortunately, in these last and evil days, that's more easier said than done. And you need to be Barry Bonds and swing for the fences if you get a good pitch. Okay, that's the last question I'm going to ask for tonight, to answer for tonight. If you felt like this was a good thing tonight, can you clap your hands? If you were with us around the world, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Let's just pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you for this group that came out. Thank you, Lord, for the people that watch live around the world. God, our determination is not to offend, but if we cause offense... May we be offensive after purpose and after your will and chasing after what you have best for us. And you've come that we'll have life and have it to the full. And so have thine own way, God. Thank you for every eye that was on us. Thank you for every person that will hear this. Thank you for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for kingdom and church. Thank you for the power of the cross. Thank you that our sins can be washed and we can be cleansed. But thank you also that we can walk according to a wisdom that you give us. Dismiss us from this place, but never from your presence. Cover us with your blood. Bring us back on Sunday, Palm Sunday, as we shout and praise and worship. Easter in two weeks. Fun day in three weeks. God, watch over us as some of us travel and go where we have to go. Be God in our situation. And we'll praise you for what you do, what you say. You're worthy. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here with us tonight, first Wednesday. See you Sunday.